you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Around the League podcast starts now. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League podcast. My name is Dan Hendes, and I'm joined by a room filled with heroes. Chris Wessling, Greg Rosenthal, and Handsome Hank. What up, boys? Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. Henry Hodgson, the yeah. notorious DOP, sitting in for Sessler for the time being. He's going. We actually have something to get to, a little conversation piece that started downstairs. Hank is going to hang around for a few minutes, do some news. We'll get to the little beef that we have and then you'll oh. be on with your next uh, programming issue. I don't think it's a beef, but okay. If you want to, if you if people will tune in for that bit, they'll be sticking around to see what this is. Yeah, for not, sure. Not a Damashek podcast, ATL podcast beef. No, this no, is no. more personal because no. you're you're basically a cast member of the Dave Damashek uh, yeah, football program. That's a fact, right? I, maybe slightly, but I don't want to. You know, there is obviously a problem between you guys and and <laughs> Dave specifically, but that doesn't what? extend to me. I don't think so um, at all. Although well, I do view Hank as like the old movie studio system where once you're in the studio system, you cannot escape. So you being part of this is like Faye Ray going from mm. RKO Pictures to <laughs> right. Universal for wow. one project, one off project. Right. I mean, timely often, analogy. Yeah. Rich, Rich Eisen obviously has me often on his podcast as well. So I just move Faye seamlessly Ray. between Nicely them all. Done. You might have a problem with Damashek after this. He might not like this cross-pollination. Yeah, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to take that risk. Big show today. We're going to go over some big names that could end up being salary cap casualties. We have our off-season forecast series. We're going to get through three of those teams. Uh, we're going to talk with Hank about the issue he has with us. But before that, we're going to start the gold standard behind the glass. How are you, buddy? Doing just fine. Thank you. Why don't we do some headlines? Let's do it. All right. Uh, obviously, the big headline here, uh, Michael Sam, the NFL draft prospect and the SEC co-defensive player of the year out of Missouri, announces he's gay which is something substantial in the world of sports, correct? Well, I was telling Greg, we've now heard everyone's opinion on it, and it's basically the same opinion. It's boring. What so, do you mean? The opinions are boring? Yeah, everyone thinks the same thing about it. 
There's well, a, which is, I guess, better than the opposite, which would be a, a divisive right. issue where some people are against the guy. It doesn't have to be divisive, but you could come up with something original. Well, let's hear it. This is your chance, Chris. We well, I would compare it to what I find interesting <laughs> in comparison to the Jonathan Martin story. I think Michael Sam has owned this story and controlled it and comes from a position of strength. And it speaks volumes that his teammates knew about this since last summer and never said a word. And I think he'll actually fit in better in a locker room than somebody like Jonathan Martin, who, who was identified as weak and soft. And they pushed incognito to toughen him up. It seems to me like Michael Sam's going to come into the NFL, and that won't even be a factor. He's coming in from a position of strength, and I would guess will be more liked by his teammates than Jonathan Martin was. Right. I think one of the interesting things, though, could be that, well, you know, th- this is obviously a talking point now, and it's going to be all the way up until the draft, and, and more than just sports media are going to be into this story. When he's drafted eventually where he is, and let's say from everything we've heard over the last 24 hours, it could be sort of round three through round seven. Are the media that aren't normally part of the sports media going to point to the NFL and say, this guy wasn't a first round pick, you know, which is kind of what they think of as, as prospects? So therefore, there's some there's something against him. I I think that listen, if he gets drafted, that's all the national media that doesn't know anything about the structure of the NFL and the draft structure. They'll be like, oh, he was drafted. If he didn't get drafted, the NFL would just be slaughtered right. as not being progressive and you know being um, you know against gays in the sport. And that, I don't see any way that happens. I know Greg, you and I were talking about this downstairs that. You know, we don't know the inner workings of how this is all going to play out. But you would think the league will almost push hard to make sure this guy gets drafted, right? There's no reason to think he wouldn't get drafted anyways. Because from everything we're hearing, Mike Mayock, Daniel Jeremiah, it's not a guy that's necessarily going to go in the first three rounds. But it's a guy that you would expect to get drafted sometime in day three. Some people maybe think it would be third or fourth round. Some. Some people think it'll be sixth or seventh, but somewhere in that mix. You're right. It would be such a bad look for the league that there are many team owners that release statements and coaches and GMs all expressing support. There's no doubt one of them would take it because it's a bad look. Exactly. And and that's why I think he's definitely going to get drafted because there have been so many people who've already said that they like the kid that they're going to draft. And we're moving on to like his draft stock already and we're right out of it. And I understand we're all cynical as sports writers that we're tired of. It's it's our job to look at the Twitter um, reaction all day and it's all the same and it's boring, but it is, it is an incredible moment. It's just, it's almost a relief because when this was coming up last year that, okay, it's, it's almost time for a gay player to come out. All I could think was, it is crazy that there's never been a openly gay player in the NFL or Major League Baseball or hockey. I mean, it is 2014, and we all have friends or family members or people close to us that are gay, of course. And it's just bizarre that sports, which is usually ahead of the culture, is so far behind here. And I think it's great. It's coming on the heels of Jason Collins, and I just think – Next year at this time, there will probably be multiple openly gay players, maybe even by the start of the season. I think it'll just keep happening. And yeah, that's a good maybe thing. maybe I'm uh, putting too much stock in mankind, but I really have a, a pretty confident feeling that this is going to go over very smoothly and this guy will get drafted in day two or day three of the draft and it won't be a big deal. Right. And I it, think 
the difference to me, I think you see a difference. The players, most of them have been positive, and I think they will continue to be. I think there's such a generational gap between the players and some of these people in the front offices mm. who were anonymous quotes to Peter King and other people who said, you know what, we're still not ready for this. And I think that means they're not ready for it specifically. That 50-year-old man or that 60-year-old man isn't ready for it, but 25-year-old players, it's not that big of a deal to them. That's how they were raised with this issue. And some of those evaluations that I read in the SI piece, I think that's what you're referring to, Wes, um, if you went back last January and there there is some connective tissue, I guess, on some level with Manti Teo and in terms of how people speculated how this guy would be able to play in the NFL, there were plenty of anonymous quotes coming out that this guy will never be able to play in a locker room now and all that stuff. It's all stuff that kind of gets blown up when the story first breaks. Right. And I think just once everything plays out, we get through the combine, we get through the draft, by October, nobody's even going to be thinking about well, this. Well, th- there's only so many ways. You, I think Manti Teo is a great um, a parallel to draw here. but Because you already made it this morning it in this our morning. morning meeting. Uh, separate from didn't Dan, hear he didn't, wasn't you didn't there. know that. Sleeping like, at you the time. And I, exactly, yeah. probably. You and I, you were probably <laughs> gelling your hair at that time. Um, <laughs> you saw me gel my hair. It was at my office seat. Today. But, uh, but you, know, you and I are on the same page there. But you know, there's only so many ways you could ask that question. You know, when, when you hear in inverted commas, dist- you know, it's going to be a distraction. It's like, how many different ways could you ask a question to, to him that, that is of any interest. The funniest thing to me are the Twitter responses that are like, why is this even a story? It doesn't matter that it... Give me a break. Of course this is a story. You don't think this is important to him? You don't right. think this was a hard thing to him in the gay community? And you don't think his teammates, it's going to be something they're interested in, good, bad, or whatever? And it's always going to be a reflection of society that there's going to be some jerks in the locker room, but that would be true anywhere. And that's why you're also seeing every, or seemingly, as my NFL inbox tells me, every every front office in the league sending out these statements of support for this guy. This is a big deal, and everyone wants to check off the boxes to make sure they're on the right side of history <laughs> here. And, you know, when the time comes to draft them, hopefully the league gets it right. I think of things now. Put a bow on it. Greg, you're a parent, Henry. I think of things now in terms of my daughter and kids sometimes, and this is one of those things that she'll if she if she ever read up on the history of football, you know, it's like she'll be so surprised that we lived in an era that the internet didn't exist. Right. That will blow her mind, <laughs> and I think she'll see that. Wait, there wasn't a gay player until 2004. That will blow her mind. That like, why wouldn't there be? That, right. that it's hard to imagine. Well, and it, it, I mean, it always blows my mind when this morning we had um, a guy called Wade Davis, who I don't think even really got to play in the NFL, um, who came on and you know, as a, as an athlete after he retired, he came out. It, it it blows my mind that there's only like a handful. Of, you know, if the in the right. in the morning show this morning on NFL AM when they were trying to find the type of people who could comment on this, there's like three or four guys that they can that they can get in. Now clearly that's not the case in the whole history of the NFL. There's four guys who've ever been been gay. I thought it was interesting reading uh, former Vikings and Ravens center Matt Burke today guessed that he had played with ten to twelve different gay players in right. his career. Well, Eric Davis said that on NFL AM. Every team has gay players and every team has players that know about it so everyone knows they play with gay players well we just wrote about this a few weeks ago the 93 oilers there were two openly gay teammates in the locker room they didn't come out of the closet but the teammates knew that these two players on the team together were gay dan wants us to move on that's why he said to put it this is momentous this is is a big social issues societal issue but 
we have a podcast to run here. What do you want to get to? Sean Lee talking about the Cowboys coaches <laughs> or something? Give me no, a break. You know what I want to get to? Because it's great that Hank is here because some kind of bad news around the Dolphins. I'm always for this. <laughs> There's never bad news um, around the a Dolphins. A new report from uh, CBS Sports. Jason Lacanfora spoke to a source who had conversations about the Miami quarterback situation. Here's the quote, Hank. He, Joe Feldman definitely wants to push Tannehill more, and if he doesn't see improvement, he said he might go to Matt Moore at some point. He definitely has a lot of faith in Moore, and they're paying him a lot of money. That sounds like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Is that even possible? Well, uh, for a head coach to say he wants to push his young quarterback more next season, not a strange thing to be said. I would imagine that uh, you know Jim Harbaugh right now is sitting somewhere going, I want to push Colin Kaepernick to do better next season. So I'm not sure that there's much of a story to this. I think this was maybe leaked on purpose. Right, right. There of was course. some stuff going on at the end of the season. Maybe Philbin's not happy about Tannehill costing Sherman his job. Maybe he wants to prove a point to him about, hey, look, you're not running the show. I am. Right. And he's got but new- I don't think there's any realistic scenario that Matt Moore enters the season as the quarterback. No. In fact, I think it may be more realistic that Matt Moore isn't on the team. Since he's taking up so much money, I think it's more likely that Matt Moore isn't on the Dolphins at the start of the season than that he's somehow starting at some point next season. Tannehill made progress over the course of the season. The wheels came off for the entire team, him included, in those last, what was it, two or three weeks. But um, I wouldn't think that the franchise's confidence should be shaken in him. He's a guy that's shown a lot in two years. No, and he, I mean, you know, we all know the issues they have with their offensive line. They're clearly going to rebuild that during the offseason, you know, starting with probably with free agency and then on in the draft. But, you know, I can slide up next to my buddy Greg Rosenthal and, and be happy to be in the camp of, of Ryan Tannehill believers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> true. I mean, remember after week 15, they beat the Patriots and everyone's talking about the maturation of Ryan Tannehill? Give me a break. It, I think it's clearly the coaching staff or someone right. that's not happy with how many nights Tannehill's out in January or something Ryan ridiculous. Tannehill doesn't go out. I'm just saying, they're saying, get back He's to work, with buddy. Lauren. And, he has a reason to stay home. <laughs> right. And of course, Hank, when you run into the Rex Ryan Week 17 buzzsaw, how can you, anybody <laughs> get on that? That Jet team was peaking. Obviously one of the best teams in the league at that point. I mean, Joe Philbin should be the one worried. If he, if he doesn't quite right, exactly. get some schemes going... Find a new coach. Watch for out! Your boy. The Hickster's coming for you. You <laughs> might want to score thirty points at some point in time. Well, good thinking. Good. Uh, by the way, biggest bigger social story in, in terms of big picture: uh, the Michael Sam story uh, coming out as gay, or Mark Sessler stepping on Lauren Tannehill's purse at NFL Honors. I, I, when Lauren called me the day after, and uh, she is not happy. She wants a written apology from Mark Sessler. Well, it's weird. Mark actually apologized to you just as he a He did rep- apologize to me <laughs> at NFL Honors. <laughs> that was and funny. I passed that on to Lauren you know, because we, we talk regularly, but she, she didn't think it's enough. Does your wife know that you speak regularly with Lauren Tannehill? Mainly because it's not real. All right. Oh, okay. Thank you. Wow. Thank I you mean, I do in my head talk to Lauren a lot, but, but not actually in person. Um, according to ESPN Dallas, um, all the sounds coming from Valley Ranch suggest the Cowboys, quote, want to move on from wide receiver Miles Austin. Obviously, uh, the man has hamstrings made out of paper mache and hasn't been the same guy in a few years. Does this make sense for the Cowboys to trim some fat on the salary cap and get rolling? I think how many years in a row can you be let down by the same player? I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if he's cut and has a bounce back year with another team. But I can see why the Cowboys just wash their hands of him and say, look, we can't just keep building our team around him as the number two receiver and he doesn't come through. 
every year the Cowboys keep two or three quote-unquote stars that aren't really stars that they shouldn't keep. And Miles Austin could be that guy this year. It makes total sense for them to cut him. He has not been worth the contract. He's not worth the production. They can replace him. Yet he, to me, seems more like a guy that they would irrationally keep just because they've fallen in love with Miles Austin. (laughs) So that is a good transition to our next topic. Hank, before we do that, though, before we do that, before we get into some big-name uh, possible salary cap casualties. Why don't you take the floor before you have to go to your next big meeting? Explain to us why you approached our little pod of uh, our ATL pod and had an issue with our prior podcast. I, I would think when you used to call it an issue, I wouldn't say it necessarily. <laughs> I would I would uh, put it in that category. But on on Saturday morning, I was listening to the podcast. Um, and, and thank I, you, in, in and thank you to all the listeners. Yes, exactly, and, and I'm just very very proud to count myself as one of them. <laughs> Um, and I noticed, I noticed that one of the, I noticed, I heard that one of your discussions uh, in the last podcast where Greg was missing, of course, and you know that's always a disappointment for me not to be able to hear him. Um, <laughs> He's was, ticking off all the boxes right now. Exactly, I bought <laughs> gifts as well. By the way, I see that um, was um, that you you had a discussion on which of the two Super Bowl teams are more likely to get back to the Super Bowl, right? And I thought it was an interesting discussion because uh, I think the the consensus answer was that the Seahawks are more likely to get back. And I don't really have any issue with it. But the point that I came to make to you this morning and somehow found myself hoovered <laughs> into, into a podcast was that um, I think that the Broncos are that much ahead of their competition in the AFC compared to, say, the Seahawks and the 49ers, who, as we saw on, on the NFC Championship game, can't be, couldn't be separated by that much, that the... Broncos are more likely to get back to a Super Bowl, but the Seahawks are more likely to win a Super Bowl. Wes? I think that... The assassin. I think (laughs) as of January 2014, the Broncos were that much ahead of their AFC competition than the Seahawks were to the 49ers. I don't think that carries over to the offseason because we don't know how strong... Other teams in the AFC are going to be after free agency in the draft, and we don't know how much weaker the Broncos will be after they lose a guy like Eric Decker, no Sean Marino, whoever they lose on defense, maybe Dominique Rogers, Cromartie. They could be really picked apart in mm-hmm. free agency, whereas the Seahawks are built to withstand that, and they have a better nucleus. And one point that I, I thought I made on the podcast, but maybe you had turned it off by then, was I that— was so angry. Well, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't there. I'm amazed you listened at all. <laughs> Peyton Manning— Played at an A-plus level right. uh, this past season. And I have a bit of a Sessler here. That he's going to come down a little bit. Age 38 season. And if he goes from 55 and 10 and 5,500 yards passing, 170,000 passer rating, whatever it is, and becomes more just kind of like a, a great quarterback, 36 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, you take away some other uh, guy, skill guys around him, Maybe the defense loses a little bit. Maybe as Julius Thomas has another ankle injury, Demarius Thomas gets hurt. Maybe Dennis well, there's a Allen. Lot of maybes. I mean, all these maybes that you've got here could just as easily happen to the Seahawks. The right? Seahawks aren't built to only have one of their one part of their team working well, though. They're built to have every part of their team. The Broncos working. need Manning to still sure. be otherworldly, and if he comes down even a little bit, and I'm not saying a Brett Favre year two in Minnesota meltdown, but even a little bit. That might be enough for they're right in the middle of the pack where anybody can pick right. them off, and that's kind of how but I see it. But within that division, I mean, if you look at the division, you know, are the Chiefs going to do three it again? playoff teams? 
and Dennis Allen. They're not just taking care of softball <laughs> fans. The Raiders are coming for you. Wow, no, Greg almost came out of the chair for <laughs> Dennis <laughs> Allen. The Raiders are coming for no one. By the yeah. way, Dennis Allen, who just downstairs we were discussing, who's the most nondescript looking head coach in the NFL? He was in the maybe 30 or 31, we he decided. Was, I think it was 31. Well, it was. It was really well, who's thirty two if he's which, 31. which coach would <laughs> be the question. least recognizable to the average person? You just put right. up the photos. Who can people name the least? I think Mike They're McCoy in, and, and Dennis Allen are pretty close. They were thirty and thirty one. The right answer is Doug Marone. No one knows who Doug uh, Marone is. Dougie. I, I Doug like, Marone like, had no like history Marone. of success at the NFL level or college level. He, he coached for a relatively well, small you, college. Of course you know team. I mean what you're counting out, but I know that you There's know. There's one coach he that was, I had no idea what he looked like until 15 minutes ago. <laughs> this can't that? be right, though. Who's that? Bill, Who? o- Bill O'Brien. Uh, oh, okay. That no, might, that's a good Doug one. Doug Marone was on the London Monarchs 1991 <laughs> uh, wow. World Bowl winning team that <laughs> had a perfect season. You what a that, season right? that was. He played guard for that Undefeated, team. untied, unscored <laughs> yeah. upon that team. Yep. I have no idea. They, I, well, they won World Bowl 1, 21 nothing <laughs> against the Barcelona Bud Dragons. Bowl 1? Yeah. Congrats if you took the over on how long it would take for Henry <laughs> to mention. And... and by the way, the reason that came up uh, hard to recognize coaches was I let yesterday I printed out a big picture of Chud's face mm-hmm. and then superimposed on it Y Mark Y and taped it onto his monitor. And then Mark sits <laughs> near the printers, so a lot of people kept on coming over and it would catch their eye this this uh, piece of paper. And five people were like, "Who is that?" And I'm like, "They didn't know he was who an Chuck NFL was head year. coach. You work in the NFL media newsroom. Right. What an indictment! Who I, are these people? I was 100 percent sure it was Norm McDonald." <laughs> it looked dead um, on Norm McDonald. Hank, I feel like we were able to kind of talk it out a little bit. I think we I all look, respect I, I, each I like, other's yeah, opinions I here. think so. I didn't feel like Wes respected mine that much, but I feel like the rest, <laughs> so I'm just going to ignore him. Okay. No, no, I thought it was an interesting, <laughs> I just thought it was, I thought it was an interesting point, and I think you did hit a uh, loophole there, but I think we sewed it back up. Not, yeah. I just <laughs> like how proud Henry was clearly of this answer when he first made it down in the newsroom. It was like he discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls or something. I mean, it was like this amazing point. He's just like hey, strutting look. after he made it. And we gave him the we gave yeah. him the platform. Then they're like, and come on through. in, come on in. We'll we'll shoot it down for you. Um, all right, we're gonna continue. Hank, do you want to sit in or do you have to get no, going? I think I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna leave you with a gift. I, I you know, I'm I, aware that I've sort of come into your house. What I've brought with me is. Mm. Um, some Japanese treats. Really? Uh, these wow. are called um, Greg, cat's are you aware tongues. of these? You are married to a Japanese woman. Well, that's... I, I, it I says... Tra- no, that's in French. There's well, French that, that's with some ja- the, the, Japanese lettering. Look, this is cu- literally straight off a plane from Japan today. These hand wipes? They, uh, they look like a little bit... They're, they're called cat's tongues. I wow. encourage you to have one. Oh, cat's tongues. Yes, but they're not actually cat's tongues. Okay, I good. encourage you to have one. Thank Chocolate. you, Henry. Chocolate-covered uh, cat's tongues. I've got tongue. one for you as well. Gold standard. It's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, great to thank hey, you. Hey, good very talk. Much. Thank good you, talk. Henry. And if, if any weirdness with Damashek happens, we'll just maybe we'll all sit down in a big kumbaya circle around a fire. We'll, well talk I think out. the fight is still scheduled for sometime soon, right? <laughs> I haven't even bought my trident yet. <laughs> <laughs> Handsome Hank. All right, gentlemen. So we. Uh, we move right along. We were talking about Miles Austin earlier as a potential cap casualty. Um, let's go over some other names, right, that that could be purged that almost certainly will end up on another roster. And the reason why their team is getting rid of them, it may be more about the financial end than the performance end, or in some cases a, a combination of both. Um, I did a post yesterday about it, so should I just go down my list and then we can, or should I throw it around? How do you guys want to do this? Yeah, let's go down the list you made. And okay. I would say these are the 
biggest name salary cap casualties. And we are going to have so much content on around the league regarding free Sell agency. It. You don't know what you're going to be doing. So we'll have a comprehensive list of all the possible cap casualties. We've got our team outlooks. What are they called? Off-season, Off-season forecasts. forecasts. Yes. That, that also has potential salary cap casuals in each one, but here are some of the big names. All right, we'll start right here. Uh, running back Chris Johnson for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, there, This is one of the slam dunk ones. I, I attach an arbitrary percentage chance. Um, each of these guys gets cut. I set this one at 95%. Am I correct there, or am I going too low? I think that's about right. I might put it at 90%, but I think the bottom line is he's got very little chance of returning at his current salary. He says he's not taking a pay cut to stay there. I believe him on this one because he's just going to want to see what's behind door number two. And sometimes it's not that pretty. Remember Steven Jackson was supposed to be a big free agent last year? It's not that pretty for a lot of these guys, and it's especially wild, uh, untamed scenario for running backs who are nearing 30 years old. And Johnson is an interesting case because I actually touched base with you, Wes, over Instant Messenger uh, yesterday because it's not like Chris Johnson is old. I think he's 28 now. And it's not like he ever suffered a serious leg injury and he's a guy known for his speed. He's the most durable starting running back in the league. He should get credit for that. The longest starting streak of any running back in the entire NFL is Chris Johnson. Yeah, very fair. But at the same time, he's not running like the guy who ran for 2,000 yards and, uh, Wes, you had pointed out that a lot of that, some of his indecisiveness and jittery nature goes back to maybe bad habits he's picked up playing behind some subpar lines. Yeah, there's, there was like a cottage industry of NS, NFL analysts two or three years ago trying to figure out what was wrong with Chris Johnson. And most of them agreed that he was hesitant at the line of scrimmage, didn't trust his blocking. And I think a byproduct of that was he was always trying to hit a home run and wouldn't, take, wouldn't lower his pads and just take three yards. So I think that he got into that bad habit, and I'm not sure he ever got out of that. So, but playing off that, what about the idea if he signs with a team that has an established run blocking uh, uh, setup at offensive line, and there's a good quarterback? Isn't he a potential guy that can go in and have like a well, not a, he's not a similar style, but a Corey Dillon type resurgence with the right team? I wouldn't rule it out. I think what bothers me about him is maybe now he runs a four three eight or a four four instead of a four two eight. It's not really straight line speed that bothers me. I don't think he's laterally as quick as he was early in his career. I don't think there's any chance that he has that kind of resurgence because he doesn't make people miss. He doesn't break tackles, like you said. If when he when he gets hit, he's going down, and then he doesn't make people miss. He's not a guy. I mean, Matt Forte is not a fast guy, but he makes people miss a lot more than Chris Johnson ever does. I don't think he'll do better than a contract where he's sharing the load with someone. What's interesting about him is if you just started following the NFL in the past three or four years, you don't remember that when he came into the league out of East Carolina, I knew a friend who watched tons of college football, and I trust this guy implicitly, compared him to a skinnier Marion Barber for his willingness to Mm. go into the middle between the tackles, fight for every yard, and he's just not that guy anymore. He's almost the opposite of that now. All right, moving on, there's another player that I I put this one at 99%, Santonio Holmes, wide receiver for the New York Jets. Uh, Obviously, he's been a nuisance for the team since... I thought these were big names. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, maybe Holmes... Super Bowl MVP? Snuck on here. Yeah, I mean, this is is a guy that was a Super Bowl MVP and was a major reason the Jets made the AFC title game in 2010, but it's been all downhill from there uh, since then. He's turning 30 next month. The Jets will uh, celebrate and throw a party in Florham Park when the receiver comes off the books and they cut him. Um, I think we all agree he's gone. What kind of market will he have? 
I would expect a one-year deal, prove-it deal. Maybe he gets $3 million from somebody who's desperate for a number two. But I, I can't see anybody committing to him long-term after what he put the Jets through. Kind of like Brandon Lloyd when he had his final year with the Jets, at best. But I could see him, unlike Chris Johnson, I could see Santonio Holmes getting his act together. I, I refrain there from swearing. Getting his act together <laughs> for a year and having a great season because he's only 30 and he's so talented. And maybe he once he realizes that, oh, I'm not getting any more big checks or at least as big as they used to be. Maybe some team like the 49ers could get him on a one-year, $3 million deal, and he'd have a great year. That wouldn't shock me. How about— I love San Antonio Holmes as a player. I used to, at least. How about the Dallas Cowboys, who are—they're going to dump Miles Austin, most likely. He's got, they could sign him on the cheap, line up across from Des Bryant, doesn't have to worry about double teams or anything. If he's healthy and motivated, he could actually be a nice fit there. They're uh, the type of team that would go for him because wh- he's shiny why? name. Right. Why cut Miles Austin just to sign Santonio Holmes? Because <laughs> right. Jerry Jones is prominently involved. <laughs> I would bet that Miles Austin has a better year than Santonio Holmes. I agree with your with that line of thinking, but it does make sense. It sounds like a guy the Cowboys would sign. Well, it was only two or three off seasons ago that NFL Films producer Greg Cosell was getting a lot of flack for including Santonio Holmes in his top five NFL receivers. By the way, it's he NFL would, Films guru. He was oh, an okay. he was an incredible <laughs> player at his peak. That. I think is almost oddly underrated in terms of the career he's had and the talent that he has, but he's no long, he hasn't been that guy for a couple of years. Well, it's funny. When I was writing the headline for this post or, or writing the intro, I was going to say these are five all pros, and then I looked it up. The guy's never been to a Pro Bowl, which is interesting. Fair. And ultimately meaningless. Yeah, well, that's fair too. <laughs> all right, moving on. Terrell Suggs, uh, outside linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, interesting case because he this was a guy that had nine sacks through eight weeks coming off that Achilles injury, um, and he kind of looked like a guy who was going to be the comeback player of the year. And then the wheels kind of fell off in terms of productivity. He had one sack and 20 tackles in the last eight weeks, kind of no-showed down the stretch. Uh, he's 31. He's going to count $12.4 million on the books for another team with cap issues. And uh, we know that general manager Ozzie Newsom already acknowledged that Suggs was no lock to return. I set this one at 40% because I think that Ozzy, they'll work something out. What do you guys think? This one's the most interesting one to me because we don't know what happened in the second half of last year that caused his production to fall off so precipitously. Uh, nice word. I think, thank you. Better, better, you know, better pronunciation even because that's a tough one to roll out. I was, I was going out on a limb there. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to pull it off. <laughs> I respect the hell out of you for that. <laughs> Thank you. All right, go on. You use more big words than anyone I know, and I and I respect that. Just naturally in a nice sentence. That comes from reading, which is fundamental. <laughs> we went off the rails because we wanted to praise Wes so much. <laughs> We've turned the podcast into an after-school special. Uh, exactly. All right, go ahead, Wes. Well, I think he's so respected on that team, and after they lose Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, he's their leader. So – that makes it tricky, but it's one of those situations when a guy does fall off the cliff like that. There are things that Ozzie Newsome and the scouts know that we don't know, and if he's talking about the possibility of cutting him, maybe they believe he'll never get back to that form that he showed before his Achilles. I was really surprised when he threw that out there at their State of the Ravens postseason press conference because usually those things you don't get a lot of news, and he threw that out there for a reason. It was to tell Suggs' agent or tell the public to 
prepare them that, hey, if this guy doesn't take a pay cut, he's not coming back. You don't say that publicly unless you already have that in your head that we need to restructure and we're not comfortable bringing him back this out. I'm surprised, but you also trust that Ozzie Newsom knows when to cut a guy loose. Unless it's Anquan Bolden. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. And they had a lot of cap issues last year at that point, and they basically decided to sign – you know, a handful of defensive players instead of uh, instead of Bolden, and and so maybe they're trying to escape some of that cap problems now. Uh, moving on, Demarcus Ware, defensive end, Dallas Cowboys. Of course, Ware is once one of uh, the game's most fearsome pass rushers, but it it feels like these injuries have kind of uh, taken their toll. He he hasn't been the same guy. Certainly not last year. He had six sacks all season. Completely disappeared down the stretch as. Uh, the Cowboys uh, flopped again in December. Uh, he's due $12.25 million, and the Cowboys have some cap issues. He could be a guy that, if he doesn't restructure, he could go, right? Set this one at 50%. Could go either way, fellas. I'd be surprised if Ware's cut just because the Cowboys, the way they operate, they keep their own, especially when they're stars. I just would think that Jerry Jones is so attached to Demarcus Ware that he wouldn't he wouldn't get rid of him. This is this is your only one that you're way off. Fifty percent. Yeah, I'd give it five. That there's no chance he's going to get cut. They're not going to cut Demarcus Ware. Coming off one sort of injury plague season, he says he doesn't want to take a pay cut and he doesn't expect to get cut, and he shouldn't. They keep clowns well past <laughs> their expiration date. I mean they. They kept Jay Ratliff on the team last year after he yelled at <laughs> Jerry Jones and was injured the whole season before and didn't play the season before, and they changed schemes, and they're still, well, oh, we'll pay you $6 because you were once good once. There is no way they would cut well, where. does this play into— I don't f- care who said what. Does this play into the <laughs> fact that I am putting uh, more stock into the idea of teams and salary cap uh, duress than you do? Because you are very passionate it's... that salary cap constraints are overrated. And I just mentioned some salary cap issues for the Ravens. For the most part, salary cap problems are the most overrated, over-talked about NFL topic of February and March. Teams can always get ways around it, and if teams are willing to spend like the Cowboys and the Redskins and pay more money up front now, you can always just keep pushing that pain into the future like you can with mortgages and everything else. Relationships. And they they generally get away with it. It's a factor, but it's not that big of a factor. We can even go a step farther and say that the best teams rarely even talk about the salary cap, rarely make that excuse. The worst-run teams constantly bemoan their lot in life due to the salary cap and we'll never shut up about it. <laughs> and salary cap, even if you do have really big problems, which are usually not that big, you know who gets cut? Bad players. Bad players that make a lot. And I don't think DeMarcus Ware would ever be put in that category, he's even getting if he there. struggled. Well, let's, Stop. He's the, getting there. the first half of last season before he was injured, I heard a lot of analysts say he's never looked faster on the football field than he did before he was injured last year. I don't I don't think if he had the worst – if he had one sack and only played two games and was way worse, I don't think they'd cut him even then because he's DeMarcus Ware. He's the best draft pick they've had in the last 15 years. All right. Well, well then. 
Uh, last Should've one. Should have talked to me before writing that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote it knowing you'd be angry. You were out it of would, pocket. It would be beautiful. It would be like, oh, the podcast, a lot of debate. Embrace the bait. <laughs> uh, last one, Julius Peppers, defensive end, Chicago Bears. He gone. Julius Peppers, by the way, is 34 years old, also in decline. And somehow, and this might be going back to what you were saying about you could always just push things back, push things back. I think this might have been a restructure situation because he's due $18 million this year. He's due $14 million, but he counts $18 million against the cap. Okay. And I think that's just the way the contract was made, thinking that he'd never get this far with the Bears. Well, he has. And you would think unless he restructures and takes half that amount of money, he's, he's gone, right? The difference between DeMarcus, DeMarcus Ware and Julius Peppers is that Ware can still play as well now as he ever has when he's healthy. Peppers cannot play as well now. He's, he's not the same player. He's not disruptive anymore. And that's the problem. You can't pay. You can't devote $18 million of your salary cap to that player. He's still a good player. He's an NFL starter. He'll get a contract. There's no way he's staying for that money. We don't know. If he's amenable to taking a pay cut to stay. I've got a what-if scenario. All right. It's going to be awfully hard for the Panthers to keep Greg Hardy at the franchise tag Ooh. number or pay him hubba, and, hubba. pay him and Charles Johnson each over $10 million a year. Julius Peppers, homecoming mm. to replace the Kraken and back with wow. the Panthers. You are firing up re- resident Panthers fan David Ely. Do another <laughs> set of those biceps, Ely. Yeah. He's loving this. The UNC product comes home. Ely like pumps that. iron and listens to our podcast, our editor downstairs. <laughs> I'm not saying the Panthers will set Greg Hardy free, but it, this isn't a home run that they're definitely going to resign him. Pe- right. I think Pepper is eight. Let's go 80%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, so we will. Yes, as Greg alluded to, we're going to be digging in hardcore on uh, free agent stuff because honestly, what else do we have to talk about? I mean, that's a major aspect of this time of year, isn't it? Certainly. All right, moving on. We talked about our off-season forecast. We're going through every team and giving a little breakdown of uh, what's changing, uh, biggest needs, who could be out, what what's needed. Uh, and a crystal ball where we're just really digging in, man. We do we do not shut it down here. We delve. We delve. I shut it down last week at the end of the week. <laughs> we didn't see you, Greg. You were uh, recharging, but you are full of life and vitality right now. I had a lot of good family time. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Should we start by getting our ATL uh, compatriot Kevin Patra on the line? Little known that he's also our Jacksonville Jaguars correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> a fate worse than death. He, uh, he penned our Jacksonville Jaguars offseason forecast, and it only seems right to have Kevin's uh, thoughts on this. Kevin Patra, are you there? I am here, sir. Sire. Oh. <laughs> wow. That's hard. Kevin Patra, we you know, shocking we didn't have a lot of organization when it came to this uh off-season forecast. You just on your on Saturday just decided to take it upon yourself to just fall on the Jacksonville Jaguars grenade. Why is this? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to pick a random team that I don't usually look at and take a deeper look at. So why don't you give us why don't you give us a kind of an overview, a glance at the Jaguars as they once again um, continue or begin a re- rebuilding process? Well, they ended the season four and twelve after starting zero and eight, and I really thought that they had some progress on the stretch. I think they have the right coach in Gus Bradley. I think he got a team with probably the least amount of talent in the NFL to play a little bit above their heads. Clearly, they need a quarterback. They need to fix the quarterback situation. The offensive line, especially in the interior, is an absolute mess. 
Uh, they need a pass rusher. I mean, they have a lot of needs. There's a team that will have $50 million around there in cap space in the offseason. They have a lot of needs to fill, but I think they have the right GM. I think they have the right coach. They need the quarterback to get to, to move forward. Yeah, to me, this all starts at the quarterback position. They obviously whiffed on Blaine Gabbard in an epic, uh, on an epic level, so now they have to hit on again. And when you miss on a quarterback, it ends up setting a franchise back, you know, three years, and I guess that's how long they gave Gabbard. And now they're going to take another shot at this. That will be where they go in the first round, right? I would think so, but I really think it depends. I mean, if for some reason the Jadavian Clowney did follow them, I think that would be, in my opinion, he's mm. the best player, and, and that would fill another need for them. If they're not enamored, I mean, that would assume that Johnny Manziel goes before them and they're not, you know, sold on any of the other quarterbacks. Uh, I, I, they've, always, they've talked about bringing Chad Henney back called those on the record multiple times saying they want to talk to him before free agency about bringing him back. To me, that tells me that maybe they want him as another stopgap here if they try to go to a more develop, developmental quarterback later in the draft. Someone maybe they think they can start right away, but maybe cannot jump in and they can have another year of stopgap. This isn't a team that I can see making the playoffs next year, so they do have another year to work with. What are the other it's big... Tr- it's tricky to have multiple stop... multiple years where you're not really going for a quarterback. This is this group's second year. So they didn't draft Gabber, and they were patient last year and decided not to really dip into the quarterback pool. Let's build up the rest of the team first. That was the Seattle mindset before really jumping on the quarterback. But at some point, you you got to go for it, and they're up at the top of the draft. Another year of Henny and like a third-round pick at quarterback, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, th- it is. But And, and the owner is on, on record as saying, Shad Khan is saying they'll take one or two, and then Caldwell's kind of be like, well, we don't know about that. So I, I, I think they're, they're hedging their bets. Well, what about – so obviously the quarterback is the highest profile um, need, but what is the other area of the team that you think they really need to push hard to address? Well, like I said, I think the interior offensive line, uh, their two guards were awful. Um, their, their center, Meester, is retiring after 15, 18 years with the organization. Uh, I think that is key because especially if they're bringing a young quarterback, you don't want them to keep – uh, pressure up the middle is the worst thing for any quarterback, and especially a young quarterback. Well, you you went through like we do in all these forecasts. You know who are the big free agents and who could get cut. And the the big free agents were Chad Henney <laughs> and Maurice Jones Drew. The, their list is just not. And you know Will Blackman is there too. As the yeah, other there, key there, free agents. <laughs> you know, with the Steelers, I had a hard time boiling it down to just four or five in the big section, and then I had seven or eight in the other key. And you just have poor Will Blackman all by himself. I, I you don't even want to give him others. But I was going to be like, I mean, really, the, I, I couldn't even lie to myself about them being a big. I mean, they, they had guys that played one snap on their free agent. Patrick was thinking of putting uh, Keenan McCardle on the list just to <laughs> beef it up a little bit. See if anybody was reading. <laughs> Will Blackman was signed off the street on August 31st of last summer. Right. And they, he was their second-best defensive player on, in, in the secondary. Seriously, so. that's a positive. If they want to get Henny back, they can bring him back, and they can sign another quarterback. They're, they basically aren't losing anyone this offseason except for Jones-Drew, potentially. Jason Babin is the other person that has a big name. Him and right. Gabber as potential guys that could get cut. Both of those make a lot of sense to me. Here's the Jaguars in a nutshell. I spent a good portion of my weekend looking at how all 32 teams in the NFL were built, where where these people on their rosters come from. 
The Jaguars. By the way, that's why Wes is a great hire, Greg. That <laughs> sentence that just unfurled. The Jaguars have by far the most players in their roster claimed off waivers, signed off another team's practice squad, or signed off the street in August or during the season. That composes more than half their roster. <laughs> that's good. That, that means at least you're not losing anyone that you want. It means that poor David Caldwell was left with nothing by Gene Smith. Yep. But he knew that coming in. This that was the, that was the catch of taking this job. All right, when you Patrick, before we let you go, off season mm-hmm. crystal ball time. Uh, what do you see happening? How's it going to play out for the Jags? Well, I do think Maurice Jones removes on Caldwell's been on, uh, said multiple times. He let him hit free agency. You don't do that if you're going to try to keep your best player. Uh, I think uh, Jordan Todman is a restrict not a restricted exclusive rights free agent, so they get a cheaper running back there. Uh, and I think they start. I think they come out a little bit aggressive. I think he tries to get depth as opposed to the great, the best talent out there to, ha- to pay high. They have so many needs, but I think they do have cap space. That's the one benefit that he's gotten. The uh, call has them in position. They have, do have cap space this year. Yeah, but how, does cap space enough to lure impact free agents? Does yes. anybody want to go to Jacksonville? Doesn't matter. Just pay people him. are dying to play with Chad Henning. <laughs> <laughs> Just pay him. You pay him three hundred thousand dollars more than the other team. Players go in there. No one cares. Not me. They should think about it, though. Uh, Kevin Patrick coming at you. Uh, we'll be in touch with you all off season, really, but it's great to hear your voice. You sound really good. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one, fellas. Uh, do we want to do another one before we go? Let's do it. Sure, one more. All right. Uh, Greg, you actually just posted this on the Around the League blog before uh, you came upstairs. The Pittsburgh Steelers. So why don't we – we gave the Jags the respect they deserve. They're one of the 32, and that just shows, again, how well-rounded we are as a podcast. We're giving the Jags so much credit. We start with them, and now we go to a <laughs> dynasty-level uh, franchise in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Greg, give us an overview of what's going on with the uh, Steelmen. I think it's a really fascinating team to watch this offseason and a fascinating time for this franchise because GM Kevin Colbert's been there forever. Mike Tomlin's won a Super Bowl, has been to another. But how many more of these non-playoff seasons can the Roonies abide by before they start shaking some things up, before making some big changes? And this roster, which used to look so good, I think has more problems than it has had in Colbert's entire run. Their entire defense has major questions up and down. They also need some wide receivers. I think they have a lot of problems, and it's going to be a very active offseason. They have big decisions to make everywhere on this roster. We talked about this last Thursday about their defense, that they could they could be losing Paul Amalo, Ryan Clark, Ike Taylor, Brett Kiesel, guys who have been there basically for a decade. And they don't have anybody in line to replace those guys. And Lamar Woodley, who has been a huge disappointment, is due a lot of money. Jason Worlds, who is probably their most explosive defensive player in the second half last year. He's a free agent. Some of their good players are free agents. Emmanuel Sanders, who was a starter, not a great player, but a starter. Uh, Jason World's a free agent. Clark, Ryan Clark is as good as gone. They're not going to re-sign him. And then you mentioned all those guys that maybe they'll cut. Ike Taylor uh, is a guy I think they'll definitely cut. Troy Palomalu, I think they'll keep him. And then Woodley, and it's just... There's a lot of needs here, and it's not a franchise that's used to signing quick fixes, and yet they have about seven starting spots just up for grabs. 
You say Troy Palomalo, are they keeping him as a mascot at this point? Isn't he not oh, even close to the guy he once was? I know we should respect you. him. He's a great commercial actor. But, <laughs> I mean, at what point do we just cut the cord and say, Troy, you were a great player for us, but he, you're not the same guy He anymore. was okay. He had a good year last year. I mean, he, he was, was exposed fine. in coverage a few times, but that happened four years ago. He is going to be paid $8.25 million. He wasn't a bad starting NFL player last year, and he's Palomalu, kind of like DeMarcus Ware. You better have a big reason to cut him. I think when – I think it was Art Rooney said, we plan to have Troy Palomalu on the team. We expect him to be on the team. He sounded like they're going to maybe extend his contract and reduce his average number, restructure, do something. I think he'll stick around. I mean, he's okay. Where's Jarvis Jones in all this? Because I know Jason Worlds – you know, they they were high on Jones. They drafted him high. Jason Worlds is supposed to be the stopgap until Jones is ready, and now they might want to keep him around. Did Jones just not progress as a rookie? Well, they, we see this every year. Jones actually played more than most Dick LeBeau draft picks. Usually first-rounders for the Steelers have a redshirt year and then come in their second year, and I think they, they fully expect him to start opposite either Worlds or Woodley, depending if Woodley's cut and Worlds is re-signed. They'll keep one of those guys. It's a really interesting decision that they either have to keep Woodley, who at his best is a top 10 pass rusher, but that hasn't happened really since he got his money. There's questions about his conditioning. Or do they cut him, not really save that much money against the cap because he had so much guaranteed money, it's not going to save that much, and sign Worlds. It'd be a gutsy move that they really feel like Worlds is the guy. But when Woodley came back into the lineup l- last year, they didn't change Worlds' position. They put Woodley on the other side. They gave Worlds uh, the left side, which is where Woodley had been. He played great. I mean, that was a sign of faith of him. It's Yeah, it's a, quite the conundrum because Worlds really never played up to his draft status until the second half of last year. Right. So until his contract year run, he never did anything. We're getting deep on the ATL podcast. <laughs> a little Jason Worlds discussion. Um, Greg, what is the... What is like? What are the biggest needs for this team to improve? It's mostly on defense, which is weird. They are going to lose two defensive ends. Ziggy Hood and Brett Kiesel are both free agents. They, they can sign Kiesel if they want for a short one-year deal, but he's not a starter anymore. They could use two defensive ends, two or three. They're not really sure what they have at outside linebacker. We just talked about it. Inside linebacker, I don't know if they're fully comfortable with uh, – both their starters, the secondary. I really think the entire defense needs help, and then they need a wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders and Jericho Cotri, they're two and three from last year, are both free agents. I think Sanders will probably leave. You bring back Cotri for cheap. You let Marcus Wheaton start. The problem with this team has been they haven't been developing guys like they used to. I think maybe this team, more than any other in the league, the draft this year could determine whether they – continue to be the solid Steelers or go down the drain because they really need to replenish the entire defense. They need to hit on three or four draft picks this year that who, who become starters and impact players. And I think they did a fine job in last year's draft. They just have to c- kind of continue that. And, Greg, I like that you didn't even entertain in your forecast the thought of a Ben Roethlisberger trade. Oh, stop. <laughs> I appreciate that. Because Why that, would I do that? that will, because there will be forecasts of similar around the Internet that will at least discuss that because it has come up, and we've reported in our building that that was something that was in the cards. I ended the forecast with, in Roethlisberger, we trust. If, if this team has a chance, it's not because 
of their 53-man roster. It's maybe they can plug enough holes, make enough smart decisions, have a good draft. Ben gets hot, and they win 11 games. I mean, that you have a chance to do that when you have that good a quarterback. They went 8-4 and four in their final 12 games this year. Crystal ball, Greg. I am getting rid of Ryan Clark. Uh, that's not a tough one to do. Ike Taylor, I think, will be cut. Emmanuel Sanders, I think, signs elsewhere. I think Jason World signs elsewhere. If if Paul Kruger can get that big of a contract, so can Jason Worlds. I mean, he could. Whoa, hold on. Why not? <laughs> He's not getting forty million. He could get something close. Why not? What did Paul Kruger ever do that Jason Worlds hasn't done? He had a great, great half name. a season. Uh, took his team to the Super Bowl. Well, he, if if the Steelers had made. The playoffs, maybe it would have been oh, Jason Worlds at top instead of Malcolm Smith. Nice out of the chair. That's absurd. <laughs> That's an absurd chair outer scenario uh, there. You I, like Jason Worlds more than his agent does. No. I don't really like Are Jason, you Jason Worlds' Wor- agent. I don't really love Worlds that much. I think and we can uh, we can talk about this. Maybe we'll um, maybe we'll just have a friendly gentleman's lunch on that Worlds will get eighty percent of what Kruger gets. So I'm already in on that one. All right, okay. All right. It's ba- been settled. Back to the crystal ball. Worlds walks. I think they give Woodley another shot because he's so talented they just decide to keep him. He doesn't even necessarily have to take a pay cut to stay or they work out a small pay cut. He stays. Kotri comes back. Palomalu comes back. Everyone's happy. Marcus Wheaton breakout season. There you go. All right, I like it, fellas. All right, so that's it for Monday's edition of the Around the League, Around the League podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday and then again on Friday. Yes, we go three times a week all through the offseason, even in February. Um, Greg, we have some guests in studio on Wednesday. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to feel like a smaller man than I normally do with Red <laughs> Bryant and Brandon Meebane. Wow. The two – Red Bryant's one of the biggest players in the NFL, and – Meebane's not far behind. They're in the studio. Should be fun. Always good when we have human beings in the studio with us. And then on Friday, uh, Win Wes's toaster will return, or I hope it returns, the gold standard. What's going on? How Are we getting some uh, good potential contestants? We've got a nice search going on. Uh, I'm bringing it to the committee, and uh, okay. we'll, we'll uh, you know, Get it down to a, a solid candidate. Wes, what, what committee is this? This is what we pay you for. <laughs> no, it's, well, it's a subcommittee. Yeah, it's capitalism, Greg. <laughs> uh, Wes, after your dominant performance, our last go around a couple of months back, you seem to be not to have a care in the world, a man that just at the top of his game like Michael Jordan, 93. Right. I kind of feel like Michael Jordan a little bit like Alexander the Great. You conquer the world and you have to sit down and cry because there's nothing left to conquer. That's how <laughs> wow. I feel about the toaster. You're Pete Carroll the day after the Super Bowl <laughs> comparing the Broncos to his opponents at USC. I was amazed by that one. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone saw that. He was yeah. like, it reminded me of my USC days. I was like, wow. I don't know. That's There's some uh, there's some pride right there, buddy. You might be Michael uh, Mike Tyson in the Tokyo Dome. Oh, are you saying that there's hubris here? There could be, yes. There could be a Buster Douglas waiting to take you on. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. So that will be Friday. Uh, so get excited. Greg, not excited about that. But he might be coming around on the game a little bit. I get a, I get a vibe. It's okay. I mean, it's the off season, so we can put in some of this clownish stuff. <laughs> clownish. <laughs> Clown questions. Shrine bro. Circus in here. All right, that's it. We're getting out of here. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday signing off. This is Dan Hens for the Mailman, the Boss, the Gold Standard Behind the Glass, and Handsome Hank, the Notorious D.O.P. Until Wednesday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.